The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts, our callers, and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of the society, its management, or our advertisers. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Welcome to Sam Sense, the show that dives deep into the fascinating world of management. I'm one of your hosts, Allie, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey of exploration and discovery. In each episode, we'll unravel complexities, share thought-provoking insights, and engage in captivating conversations with experts and enthusiasts in the management realm. This podcast is designed to both educate and entertain. Joined with me today are my co-hosts, Patrick, Hank, and Wesley, as well as our guest host, Corey. Welcome to our podcast. Hey guys, I got some great news. We've actually made it as a podcast. What? Do you think so? Oh, we've done because we actually got this envelope sent to us at Sam headquarters. Wait, an envelope? An actual regular postage envelope. People still do that? Yes. I mean, I guess we haven't given them an email address yet. Yeah, this is, well, well, I think, um, well, let's see. This is, this this is, this is, um, definitely, uh, type written. So this is going to be scary. Um, but, um, it does have a piece of carbon paper in it. Um, so, um, yeah, this could be, um, I think, I think this is, I, I think this could be really interesting. So, um, I say we just read it live and, um, just go over, go over just together. Okay. And we can maybe respond. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Right. So, sure. Let's do it. So my dearest sirs and madams, I hope this letter finds you in good health and spirit. I must admit that I am writing this missive with a certain degree of frustration. You see, I stumbled upon the Sam Sense radio program, bringing management to the people, indeed, with an exclamation part. I found myself thoroughly perturbed by the content therein. Oh. That's pretty... So I guess we've truly made it because this looks like hate mail. I mean, at least initially, you know, it's it, what, what do they say? Any publicity is good publicity. So I, I think we're in the I think we're in the right neighborhood here. Yeah. In my humble opinion, the world has become overly enamored with newfangled ideas and modern practices, forsaking the wisdom of our forefathers. This podcast hosted by individuals with names that sound like they belong to a different realm altogether, seems to revel in promoting the latest trends and cutting tech edge techniques in the realm of management. That seems yeah, fair. Fair, 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 yeah. fair criticism. We do try to talk about cutting edge techniques. That's fair. Yeah. Also extraterrestrial. I mean, I'll take it, you know. That's... Yeah. Okay. Realm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what about the tried and true methods? I yearn for the days when a good handshake and a hearty conversation were the foundation of sound business dealings. We had no need for these digital contraptions and jargon-laden phrases that populate the airwaves of today. A simple nod and a straightforward exchange were enough to strike a deal. Oh, okay. Yeah, this this is sounding. Are we sure old timey manager didn't write this? I, I no, <laughs> he didn't because 
Now I beseech you, could you not dedicate a full episode featuring Old Timey Manager? Yep, there it is. Yep. <laughs> I long for a discussion about the stalwart men and women who steered their businesses with honor and integrity, relying on their instincts and their strengths of their character. Names like Bartholomew Willoughby of Willowbrook. <laughs> Time has forgotten him, but I have certainly not. I implore you to consider this humble request of mine to share the stories of days gone by and let us not forsake the teachings of the past. With all due respect and a heart full of yearning, Ezekiel Abernathy, Willowbrook, Kansas. I didn't know that Ezekiel was old-timey manager's name. (laughs) Apparently it is. They haven't actually named it old-timey manager. (laughs) Well, uh, that is the name, right? Old-timey manager. I think we stayed just old-timey manager. Ezekiel. 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 Um, Well, thank you, Ezekiel. Uh, Your your points are well noted, and um, we will certainly see that this letter makes its way straight to the shredder. where it rightfully belongs. Uh, oh, so. oh, there's a note here. Oh, okay. Dictated, not read. Dictated, not. Oh, okay. Um, so, so okay. wow, wow. I think we need to go to Kansas. So, a live show is what you're suggesting. Yes, let's do a live show in I, Omaha. Well, Omaha. Yeah, Omaha's in Nebraska. I think so. I think so. Is, are you sure? Yeah. yeah. I think there's an Omaha, Kansas as well. Let's fact check. All right, all right. Let's go fact check that. But I think there's Did somebody an Omaha, check Kansas. the Googles. Uh. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, I, it, that could be a fun episode of people. No, nope. Nebraska. There is an Omaha, yeah. Nebraska. Thank okay. you. But there is no Omaha. Kansas. Kansas. We're going to have to pick a new new city in Kansas. I mean, the easiest thing would be to say Kansas City. I mean, <laughs> so when I, I, I killed it, obviously I did not. So I killed it when I was like, okay, yeah, this was written by old timey manager. I, ba- I, basically, I basically was like, I had this moment. I was like, oh, old timey manager wrote to us to tell us that we suck. So, okay. <laughs> none of which is Kansas. None of which are Kansas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am fairly confident Florida doesn't have an Omaha. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, oh, true. Topeka. That would have been the one. Yeah. Okay. I am uh, correct. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Allie, um, it, it's so great to see everybody. And we got the wonderful Corey joining us. Corey, how are you doing today? Doing fantabulous. Oh, I like that. Well, all polysyllabic up in here. Oh, yeah. so so Corey realized like half the people just turn off, like, oh, this show is too smart for me. Right, it's, right. It's just stop listening. They went academics. Academics. <laughs> right. Academic nerds. <laughs> but I assure you, Corey, I mean, yes, you obviously have the academic background, but you are true and true, a professional and a, uh, you know, a true member, I, I think, of, of you know, what we would consider to be the practitioners, certainly. Um, so I hope you're ready for uh, grilling because we we have lots of questions for you today. Uh, the topic uh, is... A, a deep dive into From Campus to Cubicle, Navigating the Collegiate to Corporate Transition. Thank you. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that can go along with that. And I'm glad that I'm joined here today by all those that are here with me because I think we have really kind of three different perspectives, right? I mean, we've got uh, a professor's perspective, right? We've got students who are, you know, freshly 
either graduated or, you know, or, or in the, the process past of, 10, 15 right. years of graduating, whether that's undergrad. I, exactly. Grad. So we've got a, a good representation here on, on both sides of this. So it's going to make for a very interesting conversation as we start and to break down. A business owner also, haven't you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's true, too. So you could speak to like maybe um, the opposite. Well, Right. What what you would look for, you know, perhaps in, mm-hmm. you know, in talent. So there, there's a it's a good it's a good topic. Yeah, for sure. So, Corey, why don't you tell us about um, your background, um, how recently you graduated and maybe um, just give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of the type of work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated undergrad. And well, let me first I'll say thank you. Thank you for having me here, Hank and Wesley, and Patrick and Allie. Really True appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming us. in. Always very friendly, so thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I graduated my undergrad six years ago with marketing major and a management minor, and then I graduated with my master's. Gosh, how long, nine months ago now. Nine Congratulations! Ago. Yes. Wow, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. So it was a it was a journey. I've been with my company since I graduated in 2017, and I'm really just focused on talent development. So mm-hmm. my job is centered around developing team members to reach their full potential, whether they are first level supervisors, some seasoned managers, or trying to jump from the manager level to the director level. So providing those tools or knowledge or skills they might need. So let's let's go back in time and start with when you first first um, graduated undergrad and started working uh, for your company. What was the what was the one thing that you actually learned in college that was incredibly helpful on the job? And one thing that I learned in college that was incredibly helpful on the job, always be early. Mm. If you're on time, you're late. One of the first supervisors I had when I transitioned to the cubicle used to show up at maybe 7.15, 7.10 every day. And if I showed up at 7.30, 7.45, I thought I was on time. And he would give me crap every day, every day, even though work didn't start till eight. See, I I don't agree with that. Mm. There's a work-life balance. And if you're expected to be somewhere before the time, if it's your own personal view, like, hey, I get anxiety if I'm not early. Like, that's me. I need to be 15 minutes early. But that's just for my mental sanity. But if it's because of someone else saying hey like i know work starts at eight but like be here at seven i do not agree with that at all oh yeah you better not run out the door at five either see See, that is so toxic that is very toxic and i think that should be a whole different podcast episode with the work-life balance i I disagree a little bit here um because one of the things that's i agree work-life balance is important and i'm not saying it's not okay like this isn't an anti that but what think about a normal traditional work day, right? What do most people do? They show up if they if they start at eight, they show up at eight, they go down to the cafeteria, they get their cup of coffee, they have they they kibitz a little bit, and they don't actually start working to eight fifteen, eight thirty, right? That's most 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 places I've kind of seen that behavior or or pe- they're, they're, you have to you don't just like sit at your desk and then like at eight o'clock you just like walk in, take off everything and go. There's a transition time, right? <laughs> and there is some thought that, well, that the company's 
paying you from from X time to X time. You're being paid as if you're in a salary situation. Right. You know, if you're paying hourly, different thing because that's mm-hmm. illegal. Yes. Clearly illegal, yep. right? right? But if you're salary, you know, you gotta, you know, I don't want to say you owe your employer because that's not the that's not the right thing, but it's a it makes you stand out from all of the uh, you know your your fellow employees. Right. And it makes you stand it. And it gives you that transition time that I think is is critical. So it's like I'm not rushing, I'm calm, and now I'm transitioning into the day. Hmm. You know, versus I just ran in, I'm throwing off my coat, and now I'm going. So let me jump in there. What does that mean for employees who physically can't be there that early? Are you making them lesser of an employee? So let's say they have to get their kids on the school bus, but they're still there. When they should be. Should they be looked upon less? I don't think so. I didn't say look upon them less. But you're also saying that you look better showing up early. Yes, you look better. I'm not saying you look less. I'm saying you look better. And this is an unpopular opinion. Mm -hmm. But you don't treat all your employees the same. I I think that is reality. You don't. You're high performers. You're people that do the work. You overlook. You overlook. You overlook things. You, if they need something, you tend to give it to them. Mm-hmm. If they're producing, if if I have three employees who all want Christmas week off, one is doing twice as much business as the other two. Guess which we guess guess which employee is getting that week off? Yeah. The one who's doing the production. Yeah. Okay. So that being said, now flip 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 it right. Well, maybe. You don't have a means to track production. Maybe in your role, you don't. But I have somebody who's here every day at 730. I'm not worrying about them. They're doing the transition time. They're doing the right things. They need something. That's the person who's going to get what they need. And that's, you know, that to a certain certain extent, I think that's fair. Um, You know, I I look at what I used to do and I I can remember walking hallways and telling people it's time for you to go home. Like, you know, I, I was that kind of manager. Like, hey, it's 515. Go home. Right. Like my expectation for you, I am telling you it is okay for you to go home. Um, I also worry about, though, for people who do that early in their career. Right. You establish yourself. At what point can you can you pull back those those boundaries, reestablishing those boundaries as you start to, you know, if, if you choose to do so, if you choose to build a family, if you choose to, you know, pursue extra activities outside of your primary job, um, whether that be you know, hobbies or uh, another venture, yeah. you know, I what does that so. look like? And I think it's difficult to pull back your own boundaries whenever you've already established in the very beginning that you're willing to part with those. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of companies nowadays are being really proactive about that mm-hmm. and in which they're hiring well-being teams right? or they're having someone who focuses on mental health or work-life right. balance and they mm-hmm. just promote it and the leaders at the top have to champion it. Yes. So when you see your leaders walk in at eight and walk out at five yep. that helps set the tone of this is the culture that we have Correct. Your leader can take a vacation and Absolutely. not be concerned about working on vacation mm-hmm. all those things set the tone for the culture that you want to have like we've got a well-being team we have different topics every week on mental health work-life balance productivity taking care of the whole person mm-hmm. not just the employee yeah and it makes it easy to have trips like this, being here with you guys yeah. and not checking my work phone every five minutes. That's true. I feel like that's important, too, because that would lead to a lot of burnout. Getting in early, staying late, especially at the beginning of your career. It's not 
manageable. You can't keep that up for 30, 40, 50, however many years you're in the workplace. It's going to lead to a lot of burnouts and management needs to know that they need to set that precedent if they want the most efficient employees on their team. But, you know, I, I, I will say kind of to Hank's point, though, when you're young and you're first starting in your career, there's so much that you still have to learn. Mm-hmm. And when you have and if you have the excess time, you want to use it as productively as possible. So being able to take in all that information in theory should help it to make it easier for you to not have to put in those many hours later. Just fine tuning. Like if you're a professional athlete, you spend all those hours in the gym running suicides, working on your technique, and you do that so often that it becomes muscle memory. So then when you're at year five or year six in your career, you don't have to spend as much time doing the the little things that take up a lot of time. And I want to just clarify something when I mean coming in early. I'm talking like half hour, 15 minutes. I'm not talking showing up at five o'clock in the morning and staying to seven o'clock at night. That right. Uh, absolutely. 15 minutes. I, I, I agree with that. 15, yeah. 15, 15, 15, to 30 minutes. Minutes, 15 to 30 minutes, I think, is a mm-hmm. is a good good window um to be and i think you should try to get into work 15 minutes early anyway because you don't know if there's going to be unexpected traffic or something else well to to hank's point i've been in enough offices to see that the first 15 to 30 minutes of your day Mm -hmm. are typically the least productive for some people as they come in because like hank said they're getting their coffee they're eating their breakfast they're checking their email or they're going down their social media feed i had a director who gave us a book, Organize Tomorrow Today. And this book was life changing. Mm -hmm. You want to do the most important task first every day. So the way that I tried to separate myself was as soon as I came in, I did the most important, most difficult task right away. So from eight to nine or eight to 10, I was hunkered down at my desk, knocking out the most important thing, which then gave me the flexibility to walk around and socialize and do all the other cultural norms that help you to assimilate with your company. And you bring up an excellent point. So it gets to, we do meetings, right? And sometimes you get to a meeting and you should be at the meeting a few minutes early, right? But what do most people do habitually when they get to those meetings and they're a few minutes early in those meetings, right? What they do is they get on their phones and you could have five people sitting at a table and everyone's looking at their phones, texting or checking their emails instead of just like, hey, Corey, how you doing today? What's going on? And, and we've become such a digitized society. And that's why that first 15 minutes, I think, getting in 15 to 30 minutes earlier and making that transition into the workday is, is, is critical for any new employee. You know, I'm here, what? 35-ish years into my career, give or take, I'm still at work. If I'm, if, you know, 15, 30 minutes early every single day. I've been doing it my entire professional career. Um, and I, if I, you know, and if there's traffic or there's something that happens and I get in like with five minutes to go, I feel disassembled for the rest of my day. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't have that transition time before I start my day. Sounds like you need a mantra to tell yourself, Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Bring you back to center. Because that's one of the things. You make this wonderful plan of what's going to happen the next day. And it never works out. <laughs> right. Yep. And so you got to have that, that that mantra to bring you back centered of getting the best out of you. Yeah. Like 
Kobe Bryant man said one time his daughter was sick or had an illness and he stayed up the entire night and but he still had to play that basketball game the next day with no sleep so you had to mentally tell yourself everything's okay you feel great you feel fine you feel strong you feel powerful and that's how you're gonna be able to get the most work done the most efficiently most effective throughout that day i'm not saying i disagree but the reason that kobe could flex during that wellness and getting his his mind is because he had been doing the routine for so long mm-hmm. that it's, it's so and and I see this a lot. I you know one of the things that I got a good reputation for when I was in the corporate world was identifying talent. Mm-hmm. Like my ter- my department had the lowest turnover. I you know and everyone was like, oh what what what's your secret? Right, my secret is who showed up to the interview fifteen minutes early. Right. I know it's. I know it sounds really mm-hmm. like, oh my god, like that. That's that's your big secret, and it's like, it just shows me they want the job, they're interested in the job, and if they're showing up 15 minutes for the interview early for the interview, they'll probably show up 15 minutes early on the job, mm-hmm. right? They will do those little things, you know, because you know I can't. I'll teach them the technicals. I've hired people with zero technical skills. Oh, because I can teach that. Yes, I can teach that. Mm-hmm. I can't teach the desire, the ambition, the hunger, the want. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't teach that. So if you hire somebody who's got those those things, and as a college student coming into the workforce, you got to just demonstrate that. Tell me why I should hire you. Tell me what what tell me what you've done. Show me what you have done outside of the classroom as well as inside. I got two candidates. One's got a 3.7 GPA. One's got a 4.0 GPA. But the kid who's got the 3.7 GPA has an internship, has um, done some volunteer work, was on a part of a club or an organization in college. They're getting the job all day long over the kid who's got the 4.0 and did nothing. And you're not alone in that thinking either. I mean, that seems to be the consistent theme across, I mean, most companies, it seems to be. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say the kid with the 4.0 did nothing. Right. Like, let's, That's let's, fair. Let's, I'm, I'm guessing uh, I'm going to go out on a limb, Corey, and say you got a 4.0 GPA. No, no, I, I, I did, did, but I did. Yeah. I, I did too. Yay! Hey, all right. I Air high five. I had something like a three one two undergrad. <laughs> uh, you know, not that smart. But so, think of the students who are on academic scholarships, and that's the only thing that they have to focus on be able to pay for that tuition that's true and to get that 4.0 takes a lot of work that does take a lot of discipline not to say that the 3.17 member who was more rounded or students are that was more well-rounded with the organizations the internship internships are very bureaucratic selecting students for internships at some companies is more about who you know than what you know or how well you did an interview so getting an internship nowadays is an extremely hard thing to do. Uh, I got rejected for maybe six internships before I got my first internship. Really? So wow. it's not easy uh, by any means. Mm-hmm. But I did work to pay for school. And I'd been working since I was 16 years old, mm-hmm. you know, involved in organizations. Mm-hmm. But then I look at other people that I knew that weren't involved mm-hmm. in many organizations and didn't have jobs because... They knew if I don't meet this this GPA, I'm going to lose my scholarship. And I don't have twenty grand or thirty grand to pay for school that year. Yeah, yeah but mo- but to be fair, most scholarships 
aren't don't expect you to have a 4.0. I don't know. I wasn't smart enough to get one. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no self-deprecating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, 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 but generally yeah. speaking, they're like they want you to have a 3.2 or 3.5 right. on in mm -hmm. in general. I mean, but my my the point that I was trying to make is that I'm not saying the four the student with the 4.0 I wouldn't listen to them or or or, or, right. or do that. But working with someone, working with people in a professional capacity, even if it's, you know, it's, it's so funny. The other thing that I would always look for in a resume, if they've ever worked at Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, yes. any of those organizations, and or, or those type fast food, um, very high stress, grinded out kind of jobs. Mm -hmm. And if I see that they've worked in a place like that for over a year, like, I'm all in on them. Yeah. I am all in on them because that tells me they can handle stress, they can handle the public, and now I can build off of that, you know, as they get in the company. And, and make no mistake, handling the public is not an easy task <laughs> no. most days. Um, so that that's uh, quite admirable, I think. Um, but, you know, bringing it back to um, some of the, the conversations that, you know, we, we've been having so far, when... When you transition from the academic world to a professional organization, what I found to be true, and I, I'm kind of looking to see what your, your thoughts were, but the expectations were, were very different, right? And, and so you had to learn to adapt. And I think that there's a bit of a transitionary period there. In school, you might get a rubric and you, you, know, you have PowerPoint slides and a lecture and you know exactly what it takes within reason to accomplish what the end goal is but in the corporate workforce it is every second it seems like you're processing new information that that may completely change what the reality is for what your output is going to be and so it's a very fast-paced and that to me was not something that um, i was picking up from the rigidity of the classroom environment and so when we talk about a transition from the classroom to uh, corporate, I would say being able to respond to the live environment is so critical. And that goes back to the point that you made, Hank, of if you have had those types of jobs before, if you've had that type of experience in the field where um, where you're actually engaging in business and in the live um, interactions between people, which of course are quite volatile and systems, then you know how to handle that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. and I think it it depends, Wes, on like what type of industry you're in, what type of role, because right. it it's going to be like I said, very different making that transition, and oh, it, it kind of you have to do your research on the company you're going to and ask the right questions when you're selecting where you want to go, because mm -hmm. like you mentioned in college, they give you the rubric, it's the the roadmap to how you're going to be able to be successful in the class, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the company needs to do right. for you is make sure that they give you the roadmap of hey. These are the steps and the benchmarks throughout your first year if you're going to, in quote, quote unquote, make an A for your onboarding coming into the company. So it's, it, there's a lot that the company should be doing to also help you as the new employee to assimilate into that, to set you up for success. Personally, I when I graduated and went into the corporate world, it came with a lot of anxiety. And not just because I didn't know what I was doing. It's just because I was that very type A, I need to get a 4.0 GPA, very, I was a perfectionist. But also on top of that, I was working two jobs and I never had a spare minute. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I was nannying in the morning. I was going to school and then coaching gymnastics at night. I was nonstop working weekends, weekdays. When I graduated and I had that eight to five, I didn't have those flexible hours where I could juggle two jobs and schoolwork. So from going from full-time school, two jobs, and having a little bit of a social life to just one job, it came with a lot of anxiety thinking I'm missing something. Where do I need to be right now? Mm -hmm. And it is a huge transition. Adjusting to the corporate world is not an easy process for most people. And I just want to put it out there that it is hard. You're not the only one struggling and you need to take a step back. What helped me with that is creating a schedule. Say, I'm going to go to the gym at this time. Actually visually seeing what I need to do in that day really helped with the transition. Even with the workload, let's say I split out my day. The first part of my day when I did come in, I had my coffee. I was filtering through those emails, seeing what was the most pressing. And I was creating those to-do lists. I was visually putting in my brain or on a piece of paper on the computer screen of what needed to be done. And I think that helped a lot in that transition from having so much to do to having one job because a lot of people do that. So Corey said people have to work, um, whether it's for a scholarship or if they need, if they're living off campus, they need money. Most people Mm -hmm. nowadays, they can't just go to school. A lot of people aren't fortunate enough just to go to school and do that. People are working part-time jobs, full-time jobs, and it's it's a struggle. And organization, I think, is one of the big ones, and just don't give up. Mm-hmm. But also, like, don't yeah. sell your soul. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah don't, sell your don't sell your soul. Sell your soul yeah. You know, you, you should ex- in your first year outside of school, first year in the corporate world, you should experiment with a routine. Exactly. Right? Figure yep. out what's going to work best, and yep. then stick to that. You know what and, I? Find the support system. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Find the person in your company. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when you start working, just look around you who is doing a good job and who, who not who appears to be doing a good job, who's actually doing a good job. And those are two different things. They right? are very correct. two different things, right? Because there are people who will put on appearances and be a complete mess. Figure it out. And then model those behaviors. The funny thing is, though, in the wrong culture, the person that appears to be doing a good job is going to be promoted. Mm -hmm. That perception is reality. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The things we do in school are sometimes more structured and outlined for us than the real world, too. So it's like, oh, no, we had the structure 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Like when in reality, a lot of people sit behind a desk, look at emails and have to create their schedules themselves so that structure aspects and you know what's huge. really huge and, and the caffeine withdrawals too for me <laughs> and, and what's really interesting so in the program that i run i don't push rubrics because i because i and and especially at the master's level you know i frustrate students repeatedly because they're like well you know i want to i want to report on the outline of the gaming industry tell me you know give me a prediction first question Every single time I do that assignment. Well, how many pages does it have to be? Yeah. (laughs) It needs to be as many pages as it needs to be. Correct. Well, what do you mean by that? You need to figure that out. Correct. And, and, and they get so mad. I've had complaints from students who go above me. Really? To complain 
that I'm not being clear. But I feel like the kids who do stick it out and say, okay, let me figure it out, they're better off. Oh, because absolutely. they have to work their brain and figure out, am I getting the point across? Like, if mm-hmm. I'm getting the point across in three paragraphs, great. He knows what I'm telling him. If it takes two pages for me to get the point across, it's just how their brain works. And I feel like those people who aren't like, oh, oh my God, let me go talk to his boss type of people, like, they're the ones who are better off in the long run because they can work it out through their brain and quote unquote problem solve. So one of the things that came to me in the, in the corporate world that I think was a bit of a surprise and, and Corey, you alluded to this earlier, you talk about, you talk about scheduling, right. And setting yourself up for the next day. And I had this really great idea. I was like, I'm going to do the exact same thing because I was absolutely living, dying, breathing by my outlook calendar, right. That was the the central hub that controlled my entire life at that point. And um, so it was, it was set up in such a way that, you know, as outlook calendars are there, it doesn't really, it doesn't really account for priority. Right. So that was one of the things that I had to independently establish is always being aware of what takes priority over anything else and what that needed to be at any given moment, because it could change. And I, I think that was the reality that, um, you know, that I, that I came to learn is that just because it's on my calendar, um, if something is of priority enough, maybe I have to adjust and pivot. And so it was a very interesting, it was a very interesting observation from my perspective in that maybe with time, my outlook calendar became more of a, a roadmap as opposed to a rigid schedule for me, um, because I was constantly prioritizing offline. And it, it was a realization for me that my outlook calendar does not mean priority. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the other thing. So being flexible, especially depending on what position it is and what the expectations are of you, reserve that extra time for that flexibility in case something comes up. Yeah. But then, you, you know, you said something else there too, though, Wes, with identifying what the priority is. That's when you also need to figure out when you have the most energy. So you want to focus on whatever the priority is the most important thing when you have peak energy. So figuring out also, is your energy higher in the morning or in the evening? And schedule yourself that time to do that most important thing then. Agreed. And, you know, I'm going to, back in the day, we used to have, <laughs> don't, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, old timey manager, he's he's still negotiating his Oh, he's uh, still on strike. Pay. He's still on strike. It's a whole okay. thing here. Our but, viewers are demanding that he comes I know, back. I know, so. old timey manager wants to make an appearance, but no, he's been, um, until his contract situation's resolved, <laughs> um, he, he's off. But back in the day, we used to have um, day planners, right? And the, the great advantage of the day planner was on one side, you could write down the tasks that you had to do. Mm-hmm. And then the calendar was designed for just your appointments, right? Mm-hmm. And what that allowed you to do is look at all your tasks and prioritize them easier. Mm-hmm. Now with Outlook, everything, you, you, you know, I don't know anybody, I have not seen it in a long time where people use the tasks tab. I do. Well, it's good. a feature. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It's a feature. Yeah, but I, there. That you're, 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 you're the without mi- an eraser or whiteout. Yeah, I think you're the minority, though. Honestly, I think so, too. People, I think so, too. You know, Many um, people may not know that it's a feature, though. Yeah. yeah. And But when you have all your tasks in front of you, prioritization becomes much, much easier. Oh, yes. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, and th- just remember, you can't do it on your own. Hang talked about reaching out to someone for support. Your supervisor should be a big 
or play a big part in your support as you're onboarded into the company. Hmm. So you should establish right away, what are your expectations of me? What should I always be doing and what's the priority? Like you just, y'all both made me just think about how I do my one-on-ones with my manager. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what my five programs are. I know the order of priority of which ones are more important than the others. And that's how I structure my one-on-one mm-hmm. is I address each of those five things where I'm at with that. Is this meeting your expectation? Is it not? And that helps to build that structure into making sure you're always on task. Mm-hmm. So. And again, that goes back to effective communication in the sense that that was something was so important for me is being able to have a conversation about, am I, you know, am I prioritizing the things that you as my manager think that I should be prioritizing? And that is a little bit different of a conversation than you would have in in college, because really it's up to you in college to prioritize your different classes. And that's not on anyone else because you don't really have a manager per se. So Mm -hmm. again, we go back to a transition. It is different and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something you have to get used to. Yeah. Well, our executive producer is pulling his hair out again uh, that we've had, uh, we've, uh, we've uh, hit, hit time for this episode, but Corey, we'd like to um, invite you back um, because uh, you brought some very unique perspectives as a talent developer. So we're just definitely going to have you come back again if you're open to it. Well, absolutely. Thank you, Hank. And you know, if I just could send one last message out there to all those college kids getting ready to graduate and go into the corporate world, most important piece of advice I can give you is if you can stay at home your first year, stay at home. Don't go out there trying to pay rent on your own and try to learn how to do your job and become a corporate professional. Don't add any of that extra stress if you don't have to. You might be feeling like you're losing some freedom going back home and being on your parents' roof. But in the long run, it's going to pay out because... You're going to make the least amount of money you're going to make in your life right now. Don't have any more stress. Any any parents listening to our uh, podcast just went, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not back on the family payroll. Get out of here. (laughs) I'm glad we don't have a Twitter because I think our Twitter would have just blown up. It's it's X now. Oh, it's X. It's X now. Get with the program. I remember. I remember back in the day when it used to be a bird. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there he is. He came out. I guess he He, worked out. He made it. (laughs) He made it. Old timey manager's here. But uh, so again, Corey, thank you. Um, I'm Hank. I'm Wesley. I'm Allie. I'm Patrick. All right. Uh, Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep your passion for management ignited. Stay curious, stay inspired, and join us again next week when we help you make management make sense. Mm